that last time. That's a good idea. Okay. Yeah, we on the last interview we we uh, made the mistake of starting to get all the sound levels going, and then we immediately started talking. And it's like, oh, this is good stuff. We don't want to stop now. Right. <laughs> it's like start, start, start. Yeah. Sometimes the bits that you get before you're actually officially starting sure. are just sure. as good as the bits that you get when you're actually yeah starting. Yeah. Okay. I assumed anything could be on tape as absolutely. As <laughs> All right, so we'll just go ahead and jump into it. Yeah. Uh, welcome to another episode of Everybody Loves Pudding with your hosts, Ken Seymour and Richard Geiger. Well, hello. We are here today with a couple of gentlemen that have uh, been giving children the, the delighted scribblings of artists and meanderings of authors for the last several years uh, at the Vintage Phoenix. We have Matt Trauber and Tyler Frazee, and uh, we are just delighted to be talking with you gentlemen here today. Hi, yeah, me too. Thank you for having us. Yeah. So um, one of the things that, uh, that, that brought this to mind is, is I have been going to the Vintage Phoenix myself for as long as I can remember being around, uh, around the Bloomington area, and it has been a staple of, of the community. Not always in the same location, not always with the same ownership, but uh, it has always been something that has stood out to me as just kind of a wonderful gem. Uh, Richard, had you managed to come in here before today? Nope, not a single bit, See unfortunately. You. Now, I know I know the place has been open for, in some incarnation or another, for almost 30 years, but I haven't lived in Bloomington for that long, so I've... I barely even come downtown, to be honest with you. Well, you know, maybe we can change that. you got to come yes, in here. This place absolutely. is great. Longer, in fact. 27 years as Vintage Phoenix. A couple decades more than that in earlier versions? Is that correct? Well, the, well, the, yeah, the, I mean, the earliest history of Vintage Phoenix probably dates back to about 74, 75. Mm -hmm. so, wow. Um, it really, uh, it's, it's really been around. Uh, again, uh, names and... and uh, and really, you speak of ownership. Uh, the ownership was fairly consistent for um, most of that time mm -hmm. until recently. We can talk about that, or right. well, absolutely. Well, I mean, was I always space it? I, I, I love this guy, and you know, uh, bought from him previous. What was the name of the previous owner again? That was Don Wilds. Don Wilds. That's right. That's right. So, kind of an interesting note. At, at one point, there was a comic book shop down in Spencer, and the individual that ran that. Uh, with uh, Don Wilde's assistance, you know, got comic books and helped kind of create uh, you know, a location that was closer that everybody ignored. <laughs> and it was really unfortunate because I loved having a comic book shop in Spencer, and then it just kind of, unfortunately, just was not a, enough of a community, I don't think, to support right, it. And right, right. It was, it was really sad, but we still have we still have the the vintage phoenix, which is wonderful. So, so the name was not always vintage phoenix, right? Um, well, it's the, been vintage. The, no, it's it been vintage Phoenix no, for twenty-seven yet. years. Yeah, it has so. been vintage. Phoenix. It, the, the, the incarnation of the store immediately prior to that was just vintage books. When it burned down in a fire, vintage Phoenix rose when, from when, the ashes. When, right? ashes. Yeah, yeah. When it, uh, it rose from the the damp. <laughs> the dampness because the, the fire was <laughs> the fire was uh, above yeah. the previous location. So um, uh, there was uh, very little uh, damage from the fire, but uh, the valiant efforts of those who put the fire out also created uh, water that uh, flowed down into the previous yeah. location and pretty much turned everything into a mucky pulp yeah. so, word. at one point. Now, were either of you two gentlemen in a position to have 
visited the old location back where it no. was before? Not me. Nope. Okay. So I have dim memories of, okay. of the previous location because it's anybody that's been around uh, downtown Bloomington knows how how it's kind of an odd conglomeration of, of quaint properties and uh, an attempt to be more modern with some of the other things. Yep. But one of the most interesting things about how it's set up is the, the underground portion. And there are several stairways that would be able to go to storefronts at one point, and that was where the previous location was, to my memory. In fact, I have a very vivid memory I think we're talking. I think Are you're you, remembering 25th century. Oh, five is that and 25th century yeah. five and nine? Is that <laughs> completely different? Okay, because yes. I was young. I was super yes. young when I went so to that. We, we did eventually buy out um, all of their stock. Right. Right. That's why I remember. And, that. and at okay. one point, one of the incarnations of vintage, whatever name it had at the time, was upstairs, not downstairs. Uh, but that probably predates. That's one of the early okay. yeah. 70s. Um, a lot of people make this uh, are confused too because it was a block apart. 25th That's century was, was literally just one block over. Yeah. It was the very easy to conflate the two, confuse the two. Uh, um, but we hear that a lot. A See, lot this is why I want to come in here and talk <laughs> about it, because that's what I remember. I remember yes. the very first time I saw the Infinity Gauntlet mm -hmm. was you know, in that yes, store. that one was 25th okay. Century Five and Dime. It was uh, owned and, and operated by Michael Redman, who I, coincidentally enough, saw today at Kroger. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, <laughs> he's a community staple, absolutely. So, um, and Don, Don Wilde around too. Yes. You know? Yes. Yeah. So um, how did you guys come into uh, come into contact, come into the position where you would take the well, he location came first, over? So Tyler, you tell yours and I'll tell me. Well, I, so um, like many people, I um, arrived in Bloomington because I was uh, barking upon uh, my uh, my trip to IU, you know, started, you know, going to IU, studied IU. And, and um, when I, you know, got to town, I was like, you know, I, I need two things. I need a place to buy music and a place to buy comics. Mm -hmm. um, and so the first place I did find was, in fact, uh, 25th Century Five and Dime. And I, uh, I shopped there for a couple years, right there in Kirkwood, right where everything else is. Um, at the time for me, you know, there's a lot right there. And, you know, straight down the street from campus, really convenient. Um, but eventually, um, this store, uh, Vintage Phoenix, opened. And so I naturally, you know, meandered over to check that out. Um, and through just a series of circumstances, I moved most of my business over here. Um, it had nothing to do with the pipe that I kept tripping over at uh, 20th century. A, a fond memory of anybody who shopped there. Um, so uh, if, if you're listening to this, anybody, it's, it's all cool. It's a cool store. But um, that pipe. Um, so, uh, yeah, I just started shopping here and eventually got to know the guys here and hanging out and you know and then I was like hey they're locking the door and we're hanging out after hours and talking about comics and and oh hey you, you want to come in on Wednesday and help uh, or I think it was Tuesday you want to come in on Tuesdays at that time and, and help put out the comics you know we could use a hand and then you know so yeah some you know almost uh, 30 years later here I sit that's awesome uh, mine's similar but you know I, I came down here I think a couple couple years after Tyler um, I had an older sister who had attended IU, so I was already familiar with, from visits down here to her, I was familiar with 25th century, and the timeline doesn't match up, but I still feel like I, maybe it was vintage, the, the location that was just a few blocks, or a few doors down that I visited. And I, I shopped at both, and um, also like you did, and, um, but it took me, I think a few years longer, I don't know, um, eventually I was actually just kind of a casual customer and they needed a hand also. And I think so different 
The only difference is you were kind of hanging out, and there's a there's a classic st- version of getting involved or getting hired at a comic book store that involves yeah, kind of becoming a fixture and, and yeah. friends. Mine was more like I was casual and I think seemed to have my head on <laughs> screwed on straight in a way that I wasn't going to um, uh, just... There's a certain uh, type who wants to work at a comic book store because they just want to read comics mm-hmm. like all mm-hmm. day, and that doesn't help get the work done. I think I I may have seemed like I, I was was um, at a level that it would be the appropriate level to be able to work in a comic book store, but then get some work done. And they uh, so I was helping out a few days a week, and then it was full time, and you know then I was managing it, and then we bought it. So yeah, that's pretty much the story. Yeah. So is it kind of a kind of a it's it as life goes. Sometimes it's my, it's my dream to own a comic book shop, or it's my dream to do whatever. Or sometimes it just kind of happens. Was this like a combination of it, or it just happenstance and a happy accident? And uh, for me, more of a. I mean, as a 15 year old, I'm sure I would have said, <laughs> sure. It's a, it, I would love to own a comic book store, um, but as an adult, it wasn't necessarily. It was just an opportunity. I, I found myself as far, as far as the ownership. The recent opportunity was. It was there, and if we didn't buy it, somebody else yeah. was would. And we've been here forever. Um, as far as going back to when I started working, uh, you know, I thought it was very cool, it, but it was just sort of an opportunity that was presented rather than something I actively. I was not coming in. Hey, I, can I work here? Can I work here? It was just like, hey, do you want to work here? And I said, yeah, all right, sure. Well, initially for for myself, it was. Um, I can get my comics for cheaper, which means I can get more comics. <laughs> right. You know, uh, you know, every every dollar I saved, uh, yeah. discount, it turned into an additional title I could read. Um, and uh, it, it eventually, uh, one of, one of the things um, that uh, Don, the, the previous owner, did well was allow um, um, us to play our strengths. You know, into how we operate the store. I think. Um, you know, Don had been doing this for years and years and years. Um, uh, but one thing Don did not do necessarily was, you know, he was not a rabid consumer of new comics, um, you know, new trends. Mm-hmm. You know, he knew how to run a business to, to a degree that uh, allowed us to sort of, you know, mold parts of the store into what more or less you see now. Um, and I think um, the success that we sort of had as not owners but taking ownership of the store um, kind of emboldened me eventually to say, hey, you know, yeah, owning this is is the logical next step someday. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. So, well, I was just you know thinking about the time when you when you look at uh, the comic books that are in the store right now. You know, when I visited a, a place, there wasn't the places that I had around me were actually just like um, like a CVS type of place. Hooks actually was what it was around that time. Uh, a couple local pharmacies. You could go in. They had a little spinny rack of comics. So obviously there wasn't much thought as to what was on that shelf, what was there, even how it was displayed. Because you know people would write on the back of the things to label it to yeah. put the prices. So like no care in how it was actually being consumed by the consumer. Right. So I, I guess my 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 question is. When you look at how things are right now, I mean, did you ever think about? I mean, like, there's just an inordinately large amount of titles and styles that are in here, and that wasn't the case. That wasn't the case even ten years ago, I don't think. No, there's always been a wealth of material of different types of different genres. What you're what you're saying is absolutely correct, though. Your drug stores, your your grocery stores 
did not have that wealth. They had superhero comics. Marvel, DC, you know, maybe some Archie, a handful of things, very narrow things. There was nobody at any of these places, grocery stores, Hooks, IGA, what have you, ordering comics. They would get bundles delivered from the distributors and just put out whatever came in. Whatever mess, um, yeah. But yeah, they would not, there was no support for the wider variety of things. Comic shops, we order specific quantities. Every single thing on the rack I ordered, and I ordered it in the number it's sitting there. You know, So everything is a conscious decision. Um, yeah, previously, even if it was saying there's a reason, say, 60s and 70s comics, underground comics were called underground because they were not sold you know, in mm. places where people found other comics or yeah. found other underground. I'm sure there is even more diversity now, but there's always been a ton of diversity. And, and you know, from, I, I would disagree with the 10 years ago. I've been ordering for about everything for about 20 years here. And the, the catalog is about 500 pages thick. So it's still just as diverse. It's, okay. Yes. It's, there's, that doesn't mean you're seeing all of it, but there is tons of material. And comic shops are set up to support that in a way that newsstands, drugstores... Just uh, don't... Yeah, just they can't. can't because can't. the audience is not going to be there. Um, the audience for that material is going to seek it out in a comic shop. And they're not going to seek it out yeah. from a newsstand type situation. Yeah. So that that kind of ties into what you had mentioned before. When you had worked here, you could kind of mold things in your own uh, tastes. So when you have a gigantic catalog of things to order, I mean, obviously you can't order all 500 of them. So how do you guys, between the two of you, dictate, if you're doing the ordering, for example, like how do you dictate, I'm going to order this one and I'm going to order five of them? As opposed to this one and 20 of them, you know. Um, a, a few different factors. Uh, um, and, and while I shouldn't say we dictate, we can certainly support the books we feel, um, you know, are worthy of it. And, and then um, go a little lighter on things that we're not maybe excited about. But ultimately, it is the the, the customer base mm. that dictates yeah. really ultimately what we, what we get. I, I have no, um, you know, to borrow a phrase from... Something else entirely. I'll kill my darlings. If there's a book I think is great, but it just won't move, I'll stop ordering. I, it's fine. It, uh, you know, I, we are here to service our customer base. But yes, absolutely, um, it will reflect somewhat what we are. You know, we're the gatekeepers. Mm -hmm. We, when I look at the catalog, if I if I go, well, that just does not look good at all. We don't have any. We're not going to sell any, so we're not going to create gonna that get them, yeah. base here. Um, uh, but but as far as the the apparatus for it, the key thing is cycle sheets. That's a long um, time uh, tradition of, of well-run comic shops. And what that what that term means is you track everything you order, and then you count and recount as the weeks go on how many you've sold. Um, comics are periodicals, uh, uh, and they're non-returnable in a comic book store. Um, so just like newspapers or magazines, they they pile up quickly, and you could you could literally drive yourself out of business by overordering. So we have to order based on what things have sold before. Uh, generally, they sell about the same, but slightly go down over time. That's just a it's just kind of a trend. Nature. Um, yeah. So you know, number one, if something comes out, I order. I'm just throwing out crazy numbers. I order 100 copies. Number two, I order about 70. Number three, about 50. Um, it, it's that. Uh, it's that aggressive. That quick turnaround of the yes, cycle. Yes, people, yep. pe lots of people are happy and excited to try number one, and lots of them just will not come back for number two. Um, but if I order 100 of all of them, we're going to be buried in number twos and number threes and number yeah. fours, 
and uh, it's a it's a um, every single week that's you know second only to helping customers and dealing with customers that's the biggest part of the job is ordering I spend hours every week on just ordering products well, if you got to count uh, if you got to count everything every yes. week yeah. to, well luckily yeah. the computer helps that but there is some some hand and even before the computer it, yeah it absolutely was by uh, hand it was it was notebook sheets with names and numbers and numbers and numbers and numbers and so, just going around counting yeah. stacks of things so yeah, so if um, anybody out there loves counting colorful pieces of paper, owning a comic shop is your career path. <laughs> that's, yep, that's what I always said. If if you enjoy counting stacks of things, it's this is great. But, it's great the, for it. The the thing um, you, you mentioned the customer base and, and um, uh, you kind of mentioned uh, hooks. Um, you sort of alluded to this, but yeah, anything that hooks, uh, um, you know, CVS, a, a drugstore. You know, they got their in the past. They would get their books from you know newspaper services, magazine services, and all that stuff they got was returnable. So they could care less if something was going to be exciting or new or hot. Mm-hmm. If they sold a few, that's great. They just, otherwise, they just you know threw them in a box or stripped the covers. You know, um, sent those back. Say, hey, we didn't sell these. <coughs> no harm, no foul. You know, they didn't have they didn't have anything invested in them. So no worries. Everything in this shop, um, we have we have bought, we have purchased. You know, it's ours, you know, to hopefully find a customer for. And um, some of our ordering goes to knowing who our customers are. And I think that is one of the things that comic shops have done that, it, that have been the best thing. You know, um, if I know there's going to be a, uh, a new Adam Warlock book, for example, I might be thinking, hey, I think Seymour has mentioned he likes Adam Warlock. <laughs> you know, if we haven't, you know, done enough of, of uh, ordered enough of that book, um, you know, maybe we should add one more, you know. Yeah or two more or whatever. If we know customers want something, we're able to, again, craft the numbers exactly to their taste. Do you have, would you say, some sort of formative impact on the on the people that come in here? Because I know as, as the years have changed, talking about the old days and hooks, I mean, you, you would originally go into a bookstore or a comic book store or, or whatever, and that would be your source of information. They, they knew what was out there. They knew when you talk to them, you know, get a little feel for the customer, what they would like. Here's some options that you would have with the with the Internet being, you know, omnipresent everywhere. And everybody can get information and opinions from about anybody. Has that dynamic shifted at all? Or do you still feel that you can open people's eyes to something neat and new they might not have been aware of? For me, the most common one-on-one example of that is with a new comic book reader. Um, someone who has, for whatever reason, the movies, the TV shows, whatever, video games, some way they've been, um, they've been tipped to this idea that, hey, I might, I might like comics. They often need sort of a, uh, their handheld through the store for the first time because it is, as you're talking about the wealth of material, it can be a little overwhelming. Even even if you're in something as narrow, interested in a, a category as narrow as just Marvel, you still you go to the Marvel section and there's so much. So that is for me um, the time that I'm most uh, apt to have something like that. Most of your regulars, yes, they they either know what they like already, they are on the internet, or they have looked at previews catalog. Um, there's not a lot of. I mean, there's certainly there. There is still, um, hey, based on what you as you, Tyler, you said this a moment ago, we're like, you know, hey, but you've you've read some other things like this past, uh, whether it be, 
you've read books by this author or you've um, read books that are you know sort of like this in some way you might like this one but um, the the most common ex experience is definitely with a brand new customer when when I have that um, um, and then as they ease into it I always tell people trust your own instincts with with what you like comics are visual if it looks cool there you go that's the book for you mm. how, how does the school cycle as in the college cycle affect that type of you know ordering process or or cycle process that you were talking about um, it's a it's a little slower perhaps in the summer um, although I don't I, if we look at our sales numbers yeah. generally it's 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 fairly we thing, pick up on families in the summer exactly for sure. if you lose somebody you tend we tend to gain somebody else around here even if it's with an IU yes some people graduate or go home for the summer but there are people who come beginning of summer for summer classes or uh, you know new staff or new professors I don't know there's always whenever we're losing people from from the college it seems like we're gaining some too um, and then you just mentioned summer we get we get lots of uh, tourist you know uh, vacation traffic and also the type of things comics usually release some big events in the summer mm -hmm. to bolster numbers overall so overall it really is pretty steady. It's just that there are people coming and going all the time. Yeah. One of the things too, I, I think it's probably unique about comic shops uh, because we um, we do have things that come out weekly. You know, we we have things that come out so regularly. Um, we even have customers, just a handful, who have, despite having left Bloomington, have never left this mm -hmm. comic shop, and will come back. You know, every couple of weeks, every month. And um, we've sometimes scratched our heads like, well, you know, hey, and even asked them, hey, you know, why don't you just shop at home, you know, where you live now? You know, you got a job there. Everything's cool there. I'm like, well, hey, we just we like your shop and we come back to Bloomington. So it's kind of like the effect of coming back and like visiting your favorite restaurant. But, um, you know, but they're always coming back because we always have new product, you know, it's always. Yeah. And so they know it's here. Um, I guess they appreciate our customer service and our approach. Um, yeah, at least somebody does. I, yeah. you know, they, mm -hmm. they, yeah. you know they, they drive from you know Indianapolis and uh, Madison, Fort and Wayne, Fort Wayne, um, you know, to get their comics here in yeah. Bloomington from us. I know I did that when I lived in Indianapolis. I would come back here pretty regularly. Got awesome. At least, yeah. at least one Chicago customer right now. Yeah. So it's just it. Yeah. All of this we've been talking about, I, I think, creates a certain loyalty. Um, if you find what you like, you stick with it. Yeah. Not all in shops. Particularly. I mean, this is true of anything, but. Our answers to all these questions about how you run a shop are our answers. There are there are different ways to run a shop, and there are good ways and there are bad ways, and there are also you know ways that I would uh, uh, personally call quote unquote bad, but have led to successful shops in other places. At least they're ongoing enterprises; they're yeah. not failing. Um, but yeah, we feel like we the things we do. Uh, are positive and lead to a, a loyalty from our yeah. customers. At least we try. Um, it is, it is a an actual concern of ours. That's not always the case. Yeah. I don't know that some some shops are run as pretty much kind of just an extension of uh, the owner's collection, you know, and it it's, doesn't really go beyond that. But we we really do think it is a business. We are running a business, and we are here for the customers. And we wanted to be a place for everybody. Yes, we absolutely. We worked on that. You know, yeah. we took. I, I mentioned families coming in um, in the summer. Um, that that hasn't always been the case. That families, um, you know, have visited, you know, the comic book store. 
Um, and I, part of that is probably uh, there's, there's a lot of media out there that people are picking up on movies and TV, and so it's uh, more in the um, sort of a cultural consciousness of, of people. But you know, we, you know, we really wanted we wanted to be for families, wanted to be for fans, we wanted to be, be for um, people of all backgrounds. Um, you know, and you know, that's we've really I think worked on that probably a little harder than your average show. Yeah. Well, Great. if it's even even if it's just a, a difference of perception rather than reality, it it seems that I think the the visual of the comic book shop, what you expect to find when you go in a comic book shop is different now than it was a number of years ago. Uh, I and mm-hmm. you know talking about the twenty five. Uh, the the one I mistook twenty fifth century five and die the one I mistook for for Phoenix Phoenix yeah. that was a very dark store yes. it was it was it was literally in the basement <laughs> yeah it was it was dingy and a lot of kind of comic like. shops would feel kind of cluttered yeah. and claustrophobic and not 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 unfriendly but definitely daunting just in the way that everything yes. was put together but uh, whether it's been your shop or some of the others that I've gone into it seems to seems to me that there is is a definite an intent, intended shift in presentation yeah. in order to, to not be seen as that kind of weird place that nobody Absolutely. wants to go. Absolutely, I, I think there are I think there are people who want to uh, um, who want to go and um, dig in the sand for uh, artifacts mm-hmm. and, and, and get dirty and, and sweaty and do all the work, and then there's people who want to go to the museum and see what they can see, you know, on display. And I think that's kind of where we shifted. We shifted to more um, showcases, more um, showcases, and here is what you can buy. Here's what is available for your entertainment. Um, you don't have to guess. You don't have to dig. Um, we'll lead you right to it. We'll put a good story in your hands, um, and you can be happy. Um, we have a little bit of that where you can still dig, mm-hmm. um, but you know, a lot of comic shops used to be these, like you said, sort of dusty, dark, um, you know, if you can find it, I'll sell it to you, right. mm-hmm. sort of situations. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess one of the other things I, I think about from a, a, more from a business standpoint, because I've been in the, we both have been in the manager standpoint, we look about silly things like, oh, hiring and money and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That That's all fine and dandy, but I kind of think, a, look at it from a business standpoint of not only do you guys sell comic books but you buy them too is that correct to a small extent like from collector from yeah. individuals yeah yes. we'll we'll look at anything and, and we'll um usually make an offer there, there's a fair amount that we just have no interest in but yeah we do buy collections and comics from individuals sure now is when you do the buying of those things is it from a business standpoint, to turn around and sell it, or is it like? Oh yeah, absolutely no, no. There's, <laughs> and again, I'm usually simply because I'm the one who is here full time throughout the week. I'm usually the one doing the buying. Although certainly Tyler does plenty of if it comes in on the weekend or if he's stopped by looking. But um, he has more. Tyler has more of a collection than I do. Um, I'm not really an active collector of anything, so nothing much that comes through. Am I trying to? Am I? Nothing comes through that I am looking for for my own. You might see now and then a piece that you want it, but for yourself. But no, generally yeah. it is solely what you know. Will this sell? Can I? Can we sell this in the store in a reasonable time frame for a you know reasonable price? And everything's every offer is based on that. But no, um, it gets back to what I was saying. Some shops absolutely they're cherry picking the best things. They're like, oh, here's one for the store, but these are the five best books, and these are coming home with me. Yeah. And 
again, that gets back to what I would define as quote unquote bad because that is not your first your first obligation is to your customers ideally and if you are skimming the cream of the crop and their customers are never seeing the best stuff that comes through then you know again I guess bully on you for <laughs> creating something where you can put together your great collection yeah. but you're not doing right by by your customers and by your you know collector community um, if that's that's what you're in it for in my in my opinion. Yeah, no, you, you definitely have to uh, humble wait that happened. Um, no, um, you definitely have to uh, create a delicate balance. Um, you know, um, I, who knows if this will mean anything to anybody, but we've we've sold at least two Avengers ones yes. here in this store. Really? I don't have an Avengers one. Yeah, I didn't end up wow. with it. Um, I thought about it really hard. Sure. You know, you might have even eaten it. That's a cool no. book. No, not that one. That was fine. Okay, I'd rather sell it. Yeah, no, but you know what I mean. It's yes. like we we, we have. We have put things through um, to our into our customers' hands that you know um, we might have liked to add, you know. But you know, there's there's, there's so much stuff. It, it's just like you, you can't you can't have it all all at the same time, mm. you know. And that's something I've learned over the years too. Uh, we haven't seen Avengers one for a while. We'll see another one. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe that's the one that'll finally maybe go. Hey, I want that. And that one. <laughs> and that's it's kind of a good balance too uh, to have two people with differing levels. Mm -hmm. um, because it, it can lead as far as the ideas that are generated generated from two different standpoints. But I can I can truly say now it's really cool. Whenever we see an Avengers one or a few other books, recently I saw an Amazing Fantasy fifteen for Spider Man. Um, it's really cool to see these books. But I I truly miss. I don't feel any compulsion to own an Avengers one. I just it's like yeah that's great that's awesome let's sell it. Yeah. <laughs> um, even Amazing Fantasy fifteen. I would only like to have because it's worth so much money. You know, yeah. it's, it, it's the other things that money would get. That I and it's a little it's a little corny, but it is. It's still kind of cool to see someone get a book that they want that they're excited to have. Yes, you know, and um, and sometimes it seems like like a mystery to them. Like we've cr you know <laughs> created some sort of magical you know situation that has conjured up this thing because you know they they haven't seen it. They've hadn't they've had trouble acquiring it, and we got the job done. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is much personally more rewarding. I had one recently, and it wasn't an old book. It's It was the first appearance of Spider-Gwen, character who's only, what, four years or four mm -hmm. or five years old from Marvel, who's um, very popular. And there was a, uh, a young woman, uh, I think she was, actually she was still in high school because she was in with her family doing on a college visit, and um, so she was a high school junior or something. Um, and they stopped in. They were picking up some stuff, and we had a copy of this comic that, with the first appearance of Spider Gwen behind the counter and a and a frame on display in the wall, and it blew her mind. Mm. <laughs> she, I mean, she, her and she was already you know in a comic book store, excited about buying comics. That's that's always a positive thing. People come into the comic book store. It's usually a fun thing. It's usually not a oh, I got to go to the comic book mm. store. It's usually <laughs> no. you know excitement. So they're already hyped. But boy, when she saw that, her eyes bugged out and. We had it's a book that's going for like a hundred and a quarter, and that's all we had on it. And I gave her a pretty good deal, you know, because uh, it's always fun to give kids a deal, and make them happy. And she was hook them for life, thrilled. Yeah, and that was so much more fun to see that uh, than like if if that were a book that I was into, and for me to just go cool, you know, that's mine. It's going to my collection at home. Yeah. Yeah. So it's in a shelf in a box somewhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't I don't need it. The the comics that I do care about are some old dumb comics and I've got them already and when they're not worth anything and from time to time I see a copy or two in a collection and you know I get a little jolt like hey but most of them don't <laughs> give me that 
so with the obviously with that awful bubble that occurred a number of years ago yeah. uh have you seen a shift, you're talking about people that are bringing in their collections, have you seen a shift away from that look of disappointment when they bring in their collection and it's not worth nearly as much as they thought it was? A lot of those, the the, the bubble you're talking about now is over uh, right around 25 years old. Yeah. It kind of burst in, what, 93, 94. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's about 25 years. The collections of those comics... Um, a lot of those people have been disillusioned already, but some of them are second and third and fourth generation disillusionments we're going on now, <laughs> where maybe the box has been handed off. Um, because those comics, again, the supply of a lot of the comics from the early 90s, first half, there are, any, there are 100 times more copies in the market can ever, ever use. So when I say they're, they're worthless, you know, it, it's about as close to as true as you can get about a comic. There's just there's no audience for a lot of that stuff, and there's too many copies. Um, so, yeah, we still have to do a fair bit of um, those boxes still come in every single week of some of the same titles. And some people, a lot of people, yeah, know that they're not really worth much, but there is some, there's, there is some educating still where maybe they have just been stuck in the back, back of a closet and they haven't paid any attention to the hobby at all, didn't find, hear about the boom, the bust, any of that, and think it must be worth a fortune. and. We have to kind of gently let them down because there's just there's that, too many copies. That's my entire collection right there. Is, sure. is that, there's nothing is that a whole early 90s thing? You know? people, yeah. so the, the, I, I totally understand that. The absolutely. estimate I heard, I've, I've heard a couple of different times that it may the market may have swelled to 100 times normal sales levels. Um, you know, comics right now, you know, a really successful comic is 100,000 copies sold in all of North America. You know, once in a while, two or 300,000 on a, on a great big blockbuster. And then Star Wars number one from Marvel a couple of years ago sold a million. It was the first comic in 20 years to do that. So, you know, 20 years between million copy sellers, whereas in the early part of the 90s, there were a million copy sellers left and right. And X-Men number one, there's eight million copies. And X-Force number one, there's two. Spider-Man number one, there's two. There's two. It's in my basement. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, it's supply and demand. There's there's a little demand, but there's way too much supply. Um, so 99% of that stuff, it's, you know, except for the, you know, exceptions here and there, things that people have some really strong nostalgia for, it, there's, there's just plenty of supply. So... Um, they bring it in, and honestly, it's not like a secret because I tell them what I'm offering. A lot of that stuff in the early 90s, I offer a half a penny a piece for at this point. Because if I offer any more, we'll buy too much of it, and we'll be buried in it. So that's the that's the rate, you know. For And, I mean, that's the rate for something where I'm like, I won't sell this. This won't sell. I'm giving some money away, but really I'm not going to ever likely see anything for it. So sometimes I'll still make that. And we usually tell people, have a yard sale. <laughs> Just put them out of yard sale. Somebody will buy it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Don Those can donate to the library. Donate, but but um, that bubble was, you know, based on speculators. Well, here, I can, prime example is, is Superman 75. That's the death of Superman. You know, probably, even though it's not the biggest selling title from the early 90s is probably the, the touchstone event of that period for most people. 
two million copies, I believe. Yeah, yeah. something like that. It two came in a copies. special baggie. Well, some <laughs> copies did. Some co- those were the direct market comic shop versions. The, the newsstand had just regular unbagged ones. And um, a few months ago, somebody came in with a box of comics, and it was 160 copies of Superman 75. <laughs> somebody bought 160 copies. I don't know how they settled on that number. If they went around buying every copy they found, uh, oh, that's great. And you know, and thought and thought at least I was going to give them a buck or two bucks or maybe five bucks a copy. There are two million copies of that, you know, and and we already had a box and back full of them, and, and they'll sell, but they'll sell long term. You know, we can sell one or two a week maybe because it is. It is still interesting. People yeah. are like, "Whoa, that's the issue." But I won't but get two free. I'm not going to sell. Yeah, I'm not going to sell ten a week or twenty a week, and that 160 copies is probably going to last us maybe the rest yeah. of the time. The stores here, yeah. you know, we'll be okay. Yeah, right now. So, um, and even so that. So don't bring us your copies yes. of Superman 75, please. Mm-hmm. I'll take some bag ones. These were the yeah, unbagged. <laughs> yeah, bagged is what people like. It has the armband and a, like, yeah. and a newspaper replica it's of the black. Daily Planet. But um, uh, you know, it's it's. That just speaks to how it was driven by speculators. People were buying so many copies with this idea that I'm going to turn around and sell these in six months or a year or maybe next week. I don't know. And it's just not the way it works. It's supply and demand. And when the supply is that high, mm-hmm. yeah, it was never, the demand was never that high. It was speculators creating this bubble. Did that, did that bubble, that choice that the companies made, have a negative impact on how you viewed the business? When you say the choice, what do you mean? The choice to kind of um, play on the public's fascination with the number one issue. The the fact that we know we're going to sell this because we've gotten some interest and it's shiny. And they had to have known it wasn't really going to last. But they were just going to play on it and squeeze it for everything that they could while they could. Yeah. Did that, did that kind of business strategy kind of tarnish your your view of the, the industry well, at all? Comic, comic companies have often had a had a um, an inability to really sort of be concern themselves with the long term outlook just because it was like we gotta we gotta get through this quarter and next quarter and you know it is it's a even in, before that boom started it was it was kind of a it's a small industry. I mean, we think yeah. it's huge, but it's not. It's yeah. not a huge industry. So when the boom came, they really went all in. And I can understand the thinking there. Get it while it's hot. But and that's kind of how it's operated from the beginning. I mean, when when, um, when comic books were first started, I'll try to keep the history lesson <laughs> short here. But you know, um, the first comics were were reprints of newspaper strips, um, and. Um, those were sort of proven properties. You know, people, you know, they were popular things that people liked. Um, the idea that new stuff would appear in comics was a bit of a risk. Um, they just like, let's try it. And it worked. It was a big hit. Um, uh, you know, the idea that um, something besides um, things like comic strips, you know, funny animals and other antics going on, would work was another you know kind of risk. So when the first super, superhero comic, you know, when Action One with Superman came out, that was another idea. It's like, well, let's just try it. You know, paper's cheap. Um, incredible hit. Um, 
and so on and so forth, the idea that you'd want to change anything that's working in comics is also something that it, they don't do well all the time. Mm, right. So, you know, they're often throwing things at the wall, see if they work, but once they work a little bit, then they tend to sort of Overdo double, it. triple, <laughs> yeah. quadruple down. Sure, sure. So, you know, some of the stuff in the 90s with, uh, you were kind of talking about, like, you know, um, Tr- you know, fancy covers, you know, gimmick covers. Six alternate like covers. Um, you know, foil covers, chromium covers. Um, all of that took place, um, um, That th- those things replaced um, a lot of, you know, storytelling and yeah. artistic integrity. I don't want to go too deep into artistic <laughs> but, you know, they, they were they were slamming things out just to get them out. The just, tail just, was just, wagging just, the dog for yes, a bit. And, it was, it was and, marketing. And it got, yeah, so it didn't really tarnish, it didn't tarnish my view of the industry. It just, it almost sort of tarnished my view of it as a valid entertainment medium that I wanted to participate in mm-hmm. <laughs> because it just wasn't that fun for a little bit. Yeah. Um, but post that, um, I don't know if, if this is, uh, you know, if you could actually track this, but um, they seem, the comic book companies seem to start engaging authors who wanted to tell stories again, and, um, um, you know, letting people tell stories and not having as many strictures on what they did. Um, and that goes back and forth too. But yeah, post bubble, I think stories um, came back in a bigger way. Um, um, one of the big changes, image image comics, again, um, here's a thing that was part of that bubble, you know. A bunch of artists break away from Marvel, think they can do their own thing, um, put out a bunch of books that everybody kind of oozes and ahs over, but weren't all that great, um, you know. Um, sorry, guys, I'm out there. If, you're, <laughs> if there's anybody who loves image comics, there, there's some there. better ones. But in any case, uh, um, the, uh, you know, they today are probably one of the you know braver companies you know because yeah. they're not they didn't stick to what they re- started with which is just rehash superheroes from you know from the companies they broke away from mix and match costumes yeah yes well, yeah so well, when they started yeah. you know they started the premise was it, you know creators creating whatever they want which is a great uh, a great premise and great reason to start a company but what they wanted to do in the first you know half dozen years was just make kind of ripoffs of Super Marvel Harris, characters. Yeah. Um, but once that got out of the way, the the underlying reason for existing as a company, the whole let creators make whatever they want to make, actually was, was of course a great thing. And then it was ultimately fulfilled. And the books now that mo- through most of the two thousands that they put out are truly passion projects from the creators involved, the writers yeah. and artists. Um, so it, it was something where the idea was always great. It just wasn't always actually being delivered on. Um, but one thing, I, I just want to mention this, because a lot of time when we get in conversations about, um, or I get asked about, you know, uh, the co- companies like, oh, they, they overprint them or they do this, or yeah, they, the, they ran them into the ground. You know, certainly Marvel and DC and all the companies that were involved in the, in the bust have some, some um, blame for some of the things involved. But ultimately, again, they printed however many copies were being ordered by retailers, for mm-hmm. the most part. Re, you know, they didn't print a million copies and then figure out how to sell them. Uh, orders for a million True. copies were turned in by retailers based on what they were seeing out here. Um, you know, even though paper is cheap, it's still printed a bunch of extras. Is not, and with with only a slight overrun to to account for either 
occasionally the publisher's having some real confidence in a project and they think, well, it's just that they'll realize once it comes out that there's an audience for that. Most of the time, that's not the case. They go, well, the orders just didn't come in that high, you know, print that many. So um, when they were selling them, when they were printing a million copies or two million copies or eight million copies, it was because retailers ordered that many copies. Yeah, um, and, and I think uh, it goes to that because a certain part of the customer base were buying those books without even ever cracking the covers. Yeah. They were you know, speculating. They were they were just squirreling them away, hoping that they were going to accum accumulate or increase in value. Excuse me. So, um, you know, in that, um, when that didn't happen, and those people stopped buying things, and, and we see a, a, a dip in things, um, you know, stories sort of came back. Yeah. So. Good thing, too. Yes. Yep. Yeah, there's a lot of pretty dire <laughs> comic book reading from the early 90s. There's some good stuff, too, but a lot of it is is not particularly great. Yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a phrase I've kind of used before that um, we can sell a good story a million times. We can only sell a bad story a handful of times because, you know, some people want to read it regardless of whether or not we recommend it as good or bad. Well, sure. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. So kind of going back to how the the industry you know morphs and changes over the years with um, with the increasing presence online I mean we talked briefly about how you know you would go to hooks or you would see these other places you don't see too many places other than comic book shops actually have comic books anymore you that's go to Barnes and Nobles maybe that's about it um, but there are increasing numbers of web comics and 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 online. Uh, you see a lot of the like Marvel and DC. When you buy an issue, you're going to get a digital version of it. How has this changed your uh, approach? Has it changed your approach to the business? Has it required a certain amount of dexterity to to uh, to, to compensate to how the buyer is going to think? Uh, I can I, I, speaking just from the one who's doing most of the ordering. Um, I'm not giving a lot of thought to the one specific thing in there you mentioned, digital comics. Um, I don't think a lot of people are, are downloading the digital version. I could be wrong, but from interacting with customers, you know, most of your Marvel DC, I think, or all of them right now, do they all come with a code maybe for a digital download? Seems like most of them do. Yeah, and see, that kind of speaks to, my, my ignorance of that speaks to how it just doesn't seem, we've had a handful of customers over the years mention the digital version, and once or twice there's been an issue with it, and they've asked, hey, can you help us with this? But And we had, I think, literally one <laughs> customer cut back on the comics he was getting and tell us that was because he was transitioning to digital, whereas people have sampled comics digitally, um, sometimes for the first time, and enjoyed reading them, but did not necessarily enjoy the experience of reading it that much, the, the tactile experience, mm. and that led them to us. So we have seen far more um, interest created from digital than any kind of loss associated with it. Um, I agree. Also, I think it's sort of plateaued. From everything I've read, digital comics grew for three or four years from, you know, maybe 2008 or nine to 2013, 14, and then it kind of plateaued since then. And that makes sense. I mean, there's not been any kind of groundbreaking 
new product in terms of you know iPad or anything. VR it's, comics. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, well, maybe, but I mean, if you look at the the iPad came out whatever 2010, and, and if you give it a few years to penetrate the market fully, and I, I've read that somewhat, you know, tablets have sort of leveled off too. So, I think we may have seen that. I think people were sampling it when the tablets were exploding, and then have kind of eh, you know okay, um, which. It's fine as long as, as I know those years that it was going up, they said print went up just about the same amount each year. So it did seem to be that it was exposing people to comics who would then seek out, at least some of them, um, a shop and, and try the physical um, media. Because there is long-term comic readers and collectors, I don't think, feel... Um, like if they have a digital copy that they actually own it. No, it, it's it's not a it's not a legitimate thing. I, mean, I this goes back a long time with my feelings on what's the difference between music, digital downloads, music. I was gonna say the same comics. thing. Yeah. I think it's very different. Most people with music never really considered themselves music collectors of any sort. Most people consume music in some way, but you know all those teenagers going and buying CDs at the mall, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Um, you wouldn't call they wouldn't call themselves collectors they just wanted the new album from you know Britney Spears or whatever um, but they just want the song so digital downloads and mp3s actually were more convenient and erased the need for if you needed a disc and a player you could just go oh I just need the player I mean technically you have to get the file on it but you eliminate having to fumble one piece of equipment yeah whereas you know, a comic's one thing, and suddenly a fo- you know a tablet doesn't make it any more convenient. In fact, it makes it less convenient. <laughs> your mm. comic you just open and you're it, reading it. You know, you, you don't have to mess with a tablet. Um, so I think it's it, there was a key difference there in that nothing digital makes comics more convenient or more engaging. Whereas it was the case with um, with music that for most people. And again, most people didn't think of their music collection. Some people do, of yeah. course. Um, but the majority of people who are buying music were not collectors, whereas I think the majority of people who buy comics, even if they're almost entirely in it for reading, they still have some appreciation about and, and, and pride in their collection of their comics. Um, so that's good for us, obviously. Well, you mentioned um, web comics. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, and something I'd like to say about that is that um, I continue kind of music analogies here. Um, you know, there, there's different kinds of music. You know, if you like country western, you may or may not like jazz, etc. So on sure. and so forth. Um, and I really see web comics have developed their own um, sort of genre, their own sort of uh, sensibilities. You know, they they're not just comics that are produced on the web. Um, they seem to be. You know, if you, if you look at them, they seem to follow different rules than your periodical comics um, or your comic strips. And they sort of have, a, they're, they're sort of a, a mix of the two. Um, and often, um, you know, a lot of web comics seem to be, um, you know, weekly or monthly sort of things that give you small installments. Um, you're not necessarily flipping through pages and pages of story content like you do in a regular comic book. Um, so if you like web comics, you may... Um, wonder, hey, I wonder what a regular comic book's like. And you may pick that and go, hey, this is cool too. Or you may be like, no, I just like reading, you know, five panels a week and then tuning in on Tuesday after 3 p.m. and seeing five more panels or whenever, <laughs> you know, it's pushed out. Yeah. Um, people like, you know, people have different tastes, yep. you know, and, and web comics are, are definitely 
different. Um, sometimes they have been um, then have even been packaged into you know physical um, books, and um, those are kind of interesting. But if you ever look at one of those, you can kind of see the the pacing's a little different, the beats are a little different. It's not quite meant to be read that way all the time. Hmm. Well, you you had mentioned um, the like a book. Do you guys see uh, a Obviously, there are books here like more of a, I think what when, when we're talking about right now is the traditional comic book, right? The paperback. Paper and staples. Staples, okay. yep. Um, have the trend to do more of a, like a larger print, like like a larger collection of like the books that we've seen. Graphic well, novels. Graphic novels. Like, is, is that? Well, is, most of what you see there, most of the graphic novels there, I'm going to say most, even though that may or may not be true right now, most of them are just collections of a half dozen or so comic books. Um, in comic book terms, trade paperback, even though that in, in that's, a, that's a publishing term. In, a, yeah. in publishing at large, it, it has a, a broader meaning, um, more general meaning, but in comic books, trade paperback is usually used as the term for, how about this, I'll call it, a trade paperback is a graphic novel that is a collection of previously published issues of a comic. And that's what a lot of these you're seeing are. And it, what that has done is just allowed another uh, convenient format for people to consume the stories. For decades, Marvel and DC and all the publishers generally published an issue one time, and then did the next issue, the next issue. And all those, all the resales of those to people who wanted to catch up on old stories were then handled by, you know, comic shops and stuff, and they were kind of cut out of the loop. Yes, from time to time they did a reprint and blah, blah, blah. Generally speaking, most of the comics, here you go, here's our printing on it, we're on the next one. Eventually, there's enough demand for all this backstory, they, they realize we should be, re, re, you know, uh, we should have this available ourselves, make money on this too, but also it helps as a, as a bookstore, it allows us to be a little more traditional, you know, and the stories that there are, is demand for still, the classic stories, we can always have in stock. Whereas 20 years ago, you know, some hot comic or, or some classic. Well, you, I don't. I literally don't know how <laughs> shops try to you know stock uh, you know old comics, um, target specific things. So we can always have, and we have our bestseller wall, and it's just the stories that we sell. As like Tyler mm -hmm. said, we sell them over and over and over because they are proven. Um, but uh, um, I don't know where I was going with this now. Uh, um, but they are. Uh, it's kind of like the. Um, TV shows and DVD box sets. You know, for years it was, you caught your TV show, if, if you caught it, maybe you had a VCR at some point, you know, and you introduced that. But generally it was on at a certain time and you saw it or you didn't. And then in the 2000s they started selling season box sets. And that's kind of what the um, trade paperbacks are. It just allows people a different way. Maybe they don't want to come in every month or every few weeks. They're very casual. They want to come in and, and get the whole quote unquote season of it. Um, and oh, it, but it's also a way to immediately get caught up on a book you just discovered. When I started in comics, if you, the books I was getting into, I had a list of comics and I wanted to find them. And I went to comic shops and places and I dug through boxes and found out here's issue 17. I need that. I need 22. Blah blah blah. And now if I were caught getting caught up on a series these trade paperbacks for almost any series you know that anybody's interested in are available um, and you can very quickly and easily get caught up and that's been a boon I think for the industry it, but it has removed some collectability because some of the people in the past who would have been looking for those can now 
um, you know, get the material in a different format, but it's still them getting the material. Really, ultimately, doesn't matter if they're getting it in this format or this format. It's, it's about people reading it. I think with the individuals that I know that still collect, I mean, like myself, I will do the occasional trade paperback, but there's just something about having that each issue, sure. having it there. It's, yeah. it's, it's a little, little more, keeps you more invested. Almost. Absolutely. Uh, see, I like I I love both formats. I love comic books, but for me personally, I get more. Uh, uh, I reread the stories that I have in trade paperbacks and graphic novels more often, so I have mm. more value in those simply because they're on a bookshelf at home instead of in a box sealed, you know, in the sorry in the closet. Um, so I I really appreciate that format. Uh, you know, it's right there, and and because it's much more like a traditional book format, so. You know, again, that's a great thing. Options. It's it's another format. So instead of just the one format, because you said you enjoy it, some people don't. Exactly. There was some in the past. Some people were like, I don't really want a bunch of these because they if they didn't have a history with it from maybe childhood, where you got it nostalgia, they kind of just saw it as eh, it's just a mag. You know, it's just more clutter. Magazine. Yeah, yeah, kind of saw it like that. <laughs> so getting something that has a little bit more, um, uh, what's the word? To, you know. Um, long-lasting a little durable yeah yeah a little more durabil- dur- durability seems like it was a good thing so yeah yeah uh, um, I was gonna say that and I don't know if everybody understands this but a, a guy came in a couple years ago and, and he said hey I finally get it I'm like he just said that like <laughs> just like that, I finally get it it's like what what do you finally get it's like they're still making Batman stories I was like yeah they, you know, we're not selling, you know, the Batman stories that were made in, like, the first 10 or 20 years of Batman's existence is over and over and over again. You know, this is an ongoing narrative that's been going on for, you know, uh, what, 90 years, 85, 90 80 years? something years, yeah. Yeah, yeah we're, you know, um, you know, Spider-Man, um, the first issue of Spider-Man um, up to the 602nd issue of Spider-Man, which came out recently, plus plenty of other stories around that are the same story, kind of. Yeah. You know, it's about the same character, and everything that's happened, you know, continues to impact that character. So, yeah, if you want to catch up on something, um, in the past, you know, you're sitting there reading um, Spider-Man 312, and there's a Green Goblin in there, and that's the first time you've seen the Green Goblin. You're like, hey, I want to read about more Green Goblin. You're going back, and you're finding other issues. In uh, comic book stores and flea markets and comic mm-hmm. book shows, you're digging through boxes, and you're looking. Now... You might be able to come in and order a couple of trade paperbacks mm-hmm. and and you know get a similar um, catch up on your on your stories. You know you don't have to do all the digging, but digging's fun sometimes. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Although you know what, this isn't brand new. Like I said, usually they publish them once, but I, when I was a kid, maybe eight. Um, the digest size books. Sure. These are really small ones. Uh, people may be familiar. Well, is that the is that in publishing the trade paperback format or that's the larger? Digest? Di- yeah. Digest. Digest. Okay. Digest in the comic book terms, it's, it's about half the size of a, a regular comic, but it would be a book. And I had one of the first half dozen or so issues of Amazing Spider-Man, and that was absolutely, you know, that was kind of absolutely cemented my love of the character having those issues in a little small format, even though it was tough to read because they'd been reduced so small, and I was trying to read the you know text balloons, but. Uh, um, so there, there's some history of that, and, and it didn't matter how I encountered the format that I encountered that material. It was the stories themselves that hooked me, you know, so. Yeah. Um, yeah. Are there any particular stories that, you know, stand out 
you know, because everybody's got, uh, when you're watching a, sh a show that's been running for years or when even just a genre, there are certain things that that stick out to you as, well, I this is one thing that kind of pushed me in the direction of watching this sort of a thing or doing this sort of thing. Is there kind of one of those formative stories for you that you always think back? It's like, yeah, that was, that was always going to be one of my favorites. Well, literally, that Spider-Man I just mentioned <clears throat> absolutely is one of them. Not to... Uh, <laughs> just go down that rabbit hole again right away but it was it was I was just old enough to kind of get it but still young enough for it to be really exciting and, and alien and crazy I mean I, I I'd been exposed to Spider-Man I'm sure a little bit but it was it was just this rush of information you know all these stories in one book and I I was hooked on that and then a little later I know things like The Dark Knight Returns again another kind of leap forward I mm. read a bunch of comics but then that one was such a step forward from the type of material I was reading um, those are some big ones for me that really made an impact how about you? Um, yeah I mean I you know the sort of uh, apocryphal uh, story in my comic book uh you know, loving career, I guess, is, uh, I remember getting this uh, stack of comic books at a garage sale that seemed like it was, you know, like three feet tall, but it was probably like, you know, eight issues. I was just like, <laughs> I was like three or four years old. Yeah. I just, I know I was young and I got these and there was a Bernie Wrightson um, uh, swamp thing in there. I didn't know, I didn't know what those words meant at the time. Nice. So like years later, I'm like, you know, that, I was like, hey, I know that art. You know, I know that guy. Who's this guy? What is this? Um, you know, so it imprinted on my mind really early that I liked um, the art that I, you know, viewed in comic books. Um, and, you know, eventually, you know, I, I liked the stories too, but the, the art is what really got me when I was younger. And then, um, and then the other sort of weird thing, uh, the sort of step forward into um, your, your different sort of stuff, um, reading liner notes on a... Um, on an Anthrax album and mentioning Judge Dredd. And I was like, I wonder what, they're thanking this comic book character that they're talking about. I wonder what this is all about. And then um, then a comic book shop um, in less than a year from them opening up near my where I lived. And um, they had a bunch of uh, um, Eagle Comics, Judge Dredd, color reprints. And I bought those up and read them. I'm like, oh, comics aren't all just about superheroes. Mm -hmm. So yeah, th th those two things, I guess. He is the law, after all. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what about you, Richard? Did you have any stories that ever imprinted on you? Well, I, not necessarily. You know, one of my friends that we spent a lot of time together with, uh, he had a just an extensive collection of Iron Man comics, and that's kind of when when and he and he liked to draw his own little comic book characters, like like oh, it's this person. He does this. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And like you know, just the enthusiasm, the enjoyment that they he had made me want to go and collect mm -hmm. my own comic books, <laughs> and that's that was kind of the transition right there. Um, not that I, not that Iron Man was really what was in Iron Man was interesting to me. It was just the whole superhero slash comic collectible genre. Mm -hmm. I think is what got me hooked on that type of stuff. I know, you know, I mentioned briefly, uh, again, going back to missing, remembering which shop was which, but seeing that Infinity Gauntlet number four, mm -hmm. that, I mean, because I had had some comics up before that point, but, you know, it was neat, but 
seeing them print a story where everybody gets killed. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had not seen that before, and it was intriguing. And I had the reaction reading that that I got to see everybody at the movie theater have when Avengers came out. They're really doing this? No way. That was, was, it was kind of nice to see that, that... Resonance. Yeah, it was kind of cool. Okay, well, let's let's you know with the kind of touching on that that movie thing. What do you think? Is this is this a positive thing? The the television shows, the movies, the massive number of specifically superhero comic book related stuff. I mean, they've been they've been making comic book movies for years, and in fact, we're going to release episodes where we're going from decade to decade mm-hmm. going over every comic book movie. Uh, but um, it, do you think it's had a positive effect? Is it symbiotic? Has it had no effect whatsoever? Does it bring people into the comics, seeing these movies and going, oh, there's there's already stories about these guys? It, well, it demonstrably has not driven tons of people into comic shops, no. At least not... not driven tons of people who continue to come back in. Um, we've, we've seen lots of people um, come in because of the movies, um, but they're often, uh, you know, a one-time visit, and they try some books, and they may even enjoy it, but it takes quite a bit to convert uh, a quote-unquote civilian <laughs> or, you know, or a, a new customer to a regular reader. That's a, it's a big commitment. A lot of people don't ever make that step. Um, even if they get a couple books and enjoy them, it just may never, it may not stick. But when I say it's demonstrable, it's because you can look at how many millions of people are going to see these movies. Mm-hmm. They're not, they're not coming into comic shops. In fact, the industry is in a bit of a slump right now. So, you know, I don't know how else to say, but clearly it is not, at least at the moment, working um, uh, in a in a big way. Um, the comic sales were supposedly down about 10 percent in 2017. So, you know, hopefully it's a slump. Comics have had slumps before, and then they've been followed by <laughs> big booms. Um, so hopefully that's the, the case next. But right now, no. Um, it seems that those millions of people who are seeing the movies, who aren't comic readers, are pretty content to just see the movies. <laughs> but that's that's how they're consuming those characters. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, someone who goes to see movies... Um, has enjoyed those movies. I think I think that's the question, or maybe the answer too. I don't know that necessarily um, the success of superhero movies have um, made more people go see movies, but the people who see movies have definitely been seeing those movies. Hmm. And so, if someone goes to a movie and they really like um, uh, art or reading, or they're just a very curious person, they might say, "Hey, these are based on comic books. I've not read those. I wonder if I would enjoy them." And they might come in. Those and we people, do see some of those. Those we people might come in yeah. um, because it's a subject matter they haven't, you know, explored before. But if you're not interested um, in that, you know, form of entertainment, I don't think that it is. It has turned people into people who suddenly are interested yeah. in reading or art yeah. or superheroes. Yeah. You know, they just, uh, you know, it's movies they've liked, you know, and they've enjoyed them. Um, I think uh, probably 
um, we're probably in the wrong business. We should probably be selling um, and designing T-shirts with superheroes. <laughs> yeah. That is one thing I've just noticed in general. I, I see it's so crazy. many people in, crazy. In, in superhero T-shirts, and I really have to, like, stop myself from walking up to them and going, do you know what their first appearance is? Yeah. Can you, you know, were they, you know where <laughs> Bruce Banner was born? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Stupid stuff like that, because, you know, they're just like, they're, it's just a style that and, people yeah. are wearing right now. And even those people who, again, who we have seen, usually it was not one movie that pushed them in. Yes, when one of these movies opens, we do see some people, but usually it's because that movie was suddenly the tipping point after 10 straight movies of, that they've enjoyed. They're like, I need to yeah. go check it out. I say that because early on, X-Men in 2000, Spider-Man in 2002, um, some of the earliest comic book movies that were massive hits of the early 2000s, they didn't draw drive anybody in here. I was here, yeah. and we were ready for it. I thought, all right, we're going to see some... It really, other than a handful of people... We didn't see anybody. What it took was now, you know, a decade and a half and 10 years of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, one after the other to sort of, you know, the weight of them, uh, finally those people who might be curious, they went, I've really liked all of these movies. Maybe I would like these comics. Um, you know, ge generations, too. I mean, we're almost to the point where a generation... Um, was born that didn't know that these movies existed. You know, there 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 are kids who are you know eight, nine, ten, who now all they know is is that superhero movies <laughs> have existed yeah. and are and there's always a new one there. every couple months, right? And, it's and huge you know, and, and all this stuff is there yeah. in, in front of them. You know, that that's a that could be a pretty powerful thing. I hope. Yeah. Um, you know, in the, in the coming years, you know, when those kids are like, yeah, superheroes are there. You know, I, I love those things. Um, we'll see. You know, but. Uh, um, yeah, it's, it's like someone who's grown up with, uh, you know, grown up with uh, smartphones. You never, you, you never assume they weren't there. Yeah. Um, there are people who've grown up now who didn't know that superheroes were not necessarily as prevalent as they were in, in you know, everybody's consciousness mm -hmm. you know, a decade ago. Um, well, so just kind of a callback then. Um, so we talked about, or asked about the stories that kind of. Um, it kind of inspired you. What about now? Now you've been in the industry as long as you have, been reading comic books as long as you have. What are those handful of titles, handful of artists or authors that really kind of make you take notice that are going, hey, they're doing something special. I wish people would see this. Uh, what is that big thing for you? Um. Well, for me, there's not a. I, I can absolutely answer that question truthfully, but there's a part of it that I there's not anything really right now at the moment that I read every single issue month to month. So it's more important for me to be skimming a lot of stuff to be familiar um, broadly. That said, there are still books that I know are out there and that I've even if I'm not caught up at the moment, I've uh, read more of. Um, for an extended time than, than some others. Um, and some of this is obvious. Saga by Brian K. Vaughn. It's our best-selling uh, graphic novel, trade paperback series. Um, it's a book that uh, it just, five years ago, whenever it started, it just was a sensation from, from the word go. And it just feels unique. Brian K. Vaughan had done some other really well-received books before that, Why the Last Man, which is about to become a TV series. 
um, some superhero work that was very good, Runaways, which is also a TV series right now. Um, but something about Saga just felt brand new, even though it was clearly, um, it had influences from, from comics and other types of stories. Um, but that is a book that's been exciting to see, and it's exciting that it also connected. That's not always the case with a book like that. Sometimes it's amazing and the audience does not show up for it. Um, Matt Fraction uh, is a writer who's really interesting. Sex Criminals is his kind of big hit book at um, Image, but he also did Hawkeye, which is a the coolest book Marvel's done in forever. It just, again, totally unique. Felt like nothing else they'd done. Um, and kind of just the fact that, that it, it existed was incredible. It just, it, you know, when they announced a Hawkeye solo book, you can kind of imagine what it's going to be, and it wasn't that at all, and it wasn't anything else you'd ever seen Marvel do. Um, there are artists I really love. There are a number of artists who, you know, whatever book comes out, I'm going to spend some time going over their, their art. Um, one of my favorite guys, a guy named Chris Samney, just wrapped up with, uh, he often works with Mark Wade. They worked on Daredevil together, Black Widow, Captain America. Uh, I love his style, but you know, there's a, there's a list of guys. Um, uh, again, image is where a lot of the fascinating work is being done. Not to discount superheroes, um, and Marvel and DC, there's some great stuff, and not to discount some of the other publishers who also do independent stuff, but image has some of the top writers and artists doing the things that they are most passionate about and almost any new series that launches from them is worth checking out, um, in my opinion. Um, just some, some great, great stuff. Great yeah, now you mentioned, um, yeah, Matt, you mentioned uh, a, lot of, um, a lot of good stuff. Um, the, you know, there, there's classics um, that um, people should probably read, um, you know, like Watchmen and Dark Knight and uh, Sandman. You know, you got... Uh, um, You've got Frank Miller and Alan Moore and Neil Gaiman and, and um, all sorts of artists, you know, and those three books right there. Um, so th there's always going to be those sort of classics, you know, just like your, your Moby Dicks and your Tale of Two things you should read. Um, but uh, fall, you know, reading authors you like, um, and some of the that you mentioned, Matt, I think is probably the most important thing, and be, and be happy, though, when they're paired with an artist you like. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, I found that um, when I try to follow an artist, I'm not always happy with who they're paired with. You know, yeah, um, it's not always the story that I want to read. Yeah, it looks pretty, but it's not the story I want to read. Um, the story I want to read is is generally, um, at least initially, the responsibility of, of the writer. Um, a good artist is going to be a um, good visual storyteller too. So you know, I, I don't discredit their involvement at all. But you know, if the if the writer came up with the general you know idea behind the story, that's what you know, and it's a writer I like. That's what I'm going to you know gravitate towards. And and, and Fraction, um, and um, and uh, Vaughn Brian K. Vaughn, um, Jason Aaron, mm -hmm. uh, Rick Remender, oh, yeah. um, Sully, Kelly Sudeikonik. Um, these are all names of people who have worked um, on their own creator, own projects, often an image, sometimes like a dark horse. Um, um, but I've also worked with Marvel and DC. So if you start reading, um, Rick Remender is one of my favorites. If you start yeah. reading Rick Remender, you're going to find stuff that is good that um, he did before he really was getting big gigs. 
you know, you're, you're going to find Fear Agent, yeah. um, great science fiction book, um, yep. and you're going to find uh, cool Marvel stuff with um, uh, Uncanny Avengers. I think he did that. Yeah, that was interesting. Um, you know, and then you're going to find um, Black Science um, yep. over at Image, and, and these are all very different books. You know, you're going to find this wealth of, of material by following, you know, an author. Um, and so, uh, yeah. It's not exactly what you asked, but basically, I have to say, hey, you know, yes, there, there are there are authors, there are yeah. creators who are very important, and following you know following their work, you latch onto one, you're probably going to be have enough stuff to read for a year or two before yeah. you have to find another. A lot of these guys and, and gals. So. Cool. So I, I guess in touching on all these, I was thinking of it before you even started talking about it. Like if you had to choose, you're like, this is it. This is the one. Favorite. Um, there's so many things you do, favorite artists, favorite things that like, let's just do favorite character. doesn't have to be a superhero, but just favorite character. See, that is, that is a question, though, that's so loaded, because it, you're like, are you talking about nostalgia? You know, because the answer to that exactly, is, yeah. if you're talking about nostalgia, then it's one of the characters from my childhood, but that's certainly not a character who I'm going to want to read a story about, you know, right now. Or is it is it more broadly? Well, in general, I've you know read a lot of Spider-Man, so maybe it's Spider-Man. Or is it, you know, still is it? Uh, I don't know how to answer that exactly. Um, go ahead for a moment. If you actually have, think you have, you a have concrete one T-shirt that you could wear the rest of yeah, your life. Right, that's right, right. Let me think about Do you have a? Oh, do you know an answer to this or no? You know, I really don't know an answer okay. to it. But the, the the silly thing that came to mind, I don't know that popped in my head. It's um, I mean, there are. I think there are moments that really make you like a character or, or like what you've seen. You know, I'll go back to Watchmen. I mean, there, there's moments in Watchmen that a lot of people have. have it, it is very visually. I mean, the way they visually crafted that story is so important, and that really sunk into a lot of people's minds. So this is sort of that sort of moment, but much, um, much less uh, um, sophisticated. Um, I'll go back to Judge Dredd. Um, this would be really boring for people listening because I, you know, nothing like someone describing a comic panel to you, um, <laughs> just with words. But um, there's a uh, there's there's a character named Judge Fear. He's a bad guy, and he uh, says to Judge Dredd, "Gaze into the face of fear," in one panel, and in the next panel, Judge Dredd is shown punching his fist through the back of. <laughs> like through the front and you know, <laughs> continuing through the back of Judge Fear's helmet. I know that saying, panel. Gaze into the fist of dread, <laughs> and that that sort of moment just <laughs> encapsulates Judge Dread for me in such a way that you know I want to say Judge Dread is my favorite character. But that's loaded. You know, it's you know, it's Sunday at you know you know quarter of eight, and, right. I, and my favorite character is uh, Judge Dread. <laughs> <laughs> Ask me in an hour. Yeah, you know, it's, it, you know it, it might be uh, Phantom Lady, or you know, you know, or it might be. Uh, uh, milk and cheese, or you yeah. know, it might be something else. Right, that's what I'm thinking. To, exactly, is it is it milk and cheese a good example, or is it for me Captain Carrot, or is it uh, you know the Wally West Flash? But I guess if I, if I'm just going to go ahead and define the parameters of the question, it's probably Spider Man. It, it probably most days it's going to boil down to you know Peter Parker, Spider Man. When I think about the character who also I have nostalgia for, as I mentioned earlier, the comic I read when I was a kid, and who I have continued to um, either follow closely or at least casually. I mean, as I said, I don't read that much stuff every month cover to cover, 
and I don't always read Spider-Man, but on average, I bet I read the new issue of Amazing Spider-Man more often than I do a lot of other things. So most of the time, the answer to that is probably Spider-Man, which is boring, you know, uh, other than Superman and Batman. No, he's not boring, but it's a boring answer because he's so, but it's probably Spider-Man. Well, and, and, you know, the Fantastic Four is my favorite, you know, sort of traditional comic book thing. The The dynamic of that family of four characters and their power sets it's like you know so yeah I, I, you're right it's like you have the thing that you really just want to say you know I would just say you know, Fantastic Four yes that's the t-shirt I would wear yeah. big four on my chest yeah. but, uh, I have some friends that would agree with each of you <laughs> um, well to kind of wrap this up let, so long as everything goes to plan this uh, this episode should be basically up and on online for everybody to to hear on the 20th so with that in mind do you have anything upcoming that you want to plug that's going to be happening at the store that you think everybody should come out and see do we have anything right around the corner well then What's or, that? or even generic, like a yeah. website, Facebook account, yeah. anything like that. Oh, sure. Well, um, most of our online activity is, is um, Facebook and Instagram. We're very easy to find um, either place, Vintage Phoenix Comic Books. Um, as far as upcoming in the store, we have Nate Powell signing copies of his new book on August 18th, I believe the date is. Double-check that on our uh, Facebook page. Nate Powell is a Bloomington artist who is uh, coincidentally also one of the most critically acclaimed artists in the entire comic book industry. He's the illustrator of the March graphic novel series, um, Congressman John Lewis's um, biographical, semi, or autobiographical series of experience, his experiences in the civil rights movement uh, of the 60s. Hmm. He's a fantastically great guy, nicest guy you'll ever meet. And his new book, Come Again, literally came out this week on Wednesday. It's absolutely stunningly gorgeous. He's a fantastic artist. He'll be signing copies of that on the 18th. And then at the end of the month, 26th, what's the date of the Indiana Toy and Comic Expo? Yeah, the Indiana um, you know, Toy and Comic Expo, I believe, is, the, is it August 26th? I, that sounds yeah. right. Again, check um, online. It's easy to check. But Over at the uh, Monroe County Convention Center. Um, we're one of the sponsors of that, so we'll be over yep, there. We sponsor Artist Alley. We'll be set up. Uh, there'll be uh, dozens of comic and toy and um, other... Um, um, nerd geek uh you know sort of uh, genre related vendors of various stripes set up there to mm-hmm. put cool stuff in your hands we'll have, um, uh, and they, they have a they have a costume contest uh, um, uh it's it's a good show good local show. yeah and then and a little further out we'll have halloween free comic book day in october of course um every single wednesday brand new comics hundreds and you know 100 to 150 new uh, periodical comics, anywhere from 20 to 30 graphic novels, usually each week. You know, I always tell people if you're interested in this, you you, you miss a week, you're missing some stuff. You're you there's going to be stuff you never see. So not to try to say, oh, you've got to come in every week um, and, and you know, overwhelm. But really, if you are if you're interested in comics and you want to see what's coming through. Um, if you can stop by every week, that's going to be the best, you know, option for seeing what this industry has and what we have to offer. Um, so the more often you come in, um, the more you're going to see because every single Wednesday, brand new stuff um, and lots of it. I'm and, the one who puts it out. Yeah, I know. There's a lot of it. And give us opportunity to help you find something cool that you like. You know, that's why we're here. Um, you know, that that's uh, that's one of the keys of our of our business is you know getting those things um, into people's hands that they like, that they'll, they'll enjoy. 
Um, we are better so. at recommending what you might like than say Netflix is. Yes, I can speak. For, I can speak for that. From I'm trying to remember the example last night. I think I was watching a World War II documentary, and it said I might enjoy the Adam Sandler movie or something. Was like, <laughs> I was going to say that. That's a fairly low bar. We're usually yeah a little a little better. Um, right. Yeah. So that's one reason to come in to us instead of ordering online or something where you're relying on algorithms. Yes. Well, I, I got to say, I, I've been coming here for years, and it's well worth taking a, a trip down uh, if you're anywhere nearby here. And uh, if you're listening from afar and don't have the ability to support your local comic book shop, because they can always use uh, use a new set of eyes, and, and maybe you'll see something that you like. Absolutely. Thank you. Yes, thanks. I yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for your time, guys. Thanks. Right, well, we'll thanks. see you next week, Pudding People. <laughs> <laughs>